1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We are so excited for today's show. Everybody is here all at once. We've got Mr. (laughs) Dean Holland, who just rode in on his white noble steed. (laughs) There we go. Can't skip the trumpet. Fair fair for you, my fine bearded British friend.
0: How are you today? I'm doing amazing. How are you? Good. I, uh, I'm i also
1: joined by uh, the lovely Melanie Parrish, author of the book, The Experimental Leader, Woo. who's here today to uh, talk with us about discovering your leadership style and how to create lasting change inside of your business. Melanie, welcome to the show. I know you didn't ride in on a horse, but it's okay. We're happy that you're here nonetheless.
2: I love riding horses, so I wish I had. That's awesome. It's next great time. to be here. Next yeah, time. Yeah, next time.
1: Yeah, I know, I know you thought you know it wasn't appropriate to come into this show on a horse, but turns out it is. So apparently
2: I have some pony envy,
1: right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Amazing.
1: Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're ready to, let me back up. Most entrepreneurs, I don't think start out by thinking of themselves as leaders. I think mm-hmm. they start out by thinking of themselves right. as Product creators, people who offer a service, uh, opportunistic seekers, you know, somebody who's trying to capitalize on something. And somewhere along the way, you're like, wait a second, everybody's looking at me to make these leadership decisions. Like, what (laughs) the heck happened to the good old days? (laughs) Run, Get, get on the horse and ride away. Yeah. Right. Like, what happened to the good old days when? You know, I could just be getting everything done myself or maybe I had a small group of people and we were just, you know, you know, kind of everybody knew what everybody else was thinking. And now I'm in an environment where there's more people, there's more customers, there's more money, but there's also more problems. And I'd love your take on the transition and this probably will go deep into this, but what's most important in the transition for a business owner, or an entrepreneur, who finds themselves becoming a leader.
2: I, I think this is a really, um, this is like so near and dear to my heart, by the way. I love this conversation. I've been an entrepreneur for a really long time. The beginning of my coaching practice was all with entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurs. I love the way they think. And I love startups too. Like I love that that um, there's this magical feeling in a startup when you think to yourself in the morning, Oh, I should offer this to customers, and then in the afternoon, you like offer it to a customer and they buy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and
1: that you're is laughing. Pretty magical.
2: You're laughing, but that's that magical time. It's like the lemonade stand outside. Hey, mom, can I create a lemonade st- sign? You know, a lemonade stand, and then you like bypass R and D. You bypass um, all the parts of business, and you go straight to marketing and selling. <laughs> and um, and and our businesses get more complex when we're successful, um, and I think we all dream of those days where we had an idea and we were able to sell it really fast. Yeah. Um. And and I think when we're successful and we start to try to duplicate ourselves, that's the moment that we become leaders. Um, we're leading the business before that. We're just only leading ourselves, so there's not much friction. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but that, that moment where we start to duplicate ourselves, you get left with this whole set of skills that you need on how to grapple with that. And, um, and, and I think that's the complexity of new leadership of trying to figure out. It's, it's, um, I often think of the image of, you know, that, that game you played when you were a kid and you're like, you have your friends sit in front of you and then you feed them at the table. That's what I, I don't know know, if I ever
1: played that game.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe it's maybe it was a girl game. I don't know. But you would like, you know, you put a bib on them and, and then you try to like, you can't see the food. So you're trying to cut the food with a knife and fork and they're trying to find their mouth, but you kind of miss their mouth. I feel like that's sort of the heart of that new leadership for. Um, really for anyone, but mostly for entrepreneurs. Like it's, it's really complex for entrepreneurs. Why is it, Um,
1: why is it so hard? And I know you're putting emphasis here on it's really hard for entrepreneurs. Is it hard for everybody, but it's harder for entrepreneurs or like, what's your experience with this?
2: Yeah. I think it's harder for entrepreneurs. Often I have clients who are entrepreneurs who've never worked in an organization before. So they've never gotten to see how someone else does it. So they don't have any prototypes.
0: Well, it's, it's uh, sorry to jump in, but it's fascinating that you would say that because one of my close friends I've known since school, since we're like 12 years old, you know, he's, he's not entrepreneurial in any way, shape or form. He's very much a manual labor guy. And he he loves that. He does what he loves. Um, But I often have conversations with him to get his insight into, into, to get his help because I've only ever really had like two or three jobs, you know, between the ages of like 16 and 20 or something like that. And I, you know, as weird as it might sound to some, I, I, there's a lot I don't know about being, you know, an employee and, and working within a company. So I, you know, I, I often have to talk to him to get that perspective. So it's fascinating that you say those difficulties around that area.
2: Yeah, and I, I like to say I'm completely unemployable at this stage right. in my life. <laughs> you know, I have way too many ideas, I want to move too fast, and I communicate terribly. And those are entrepreneurial challenges in general. We we learn different things as entrepreneurs. And, um, and so I do think the challenge is we don't have good role models as entrepreneurs. And so often what that might mean is that we might – look around for who we thought was a good leader. And often those role models, the things that we think were good leaders were people who were either like super dominant personality types who told people what to do all the time. And, and that works really well, like in a flood, but not so well in a company um, because it sort of thwarts ideas. Um, And then the other kind of leader we're really attracted to is what I call a charismatic leader, or a charming leader, we're attracted to their charm, but they're not much more effective than that person who tells people what to do. They just manipulate people to do what they want. So both of those things are still missing the friction of shared ideas. And um, and if we can have shared ideas in an organization, then we start to utilize uh, many people's brains instead of just the leader's brain. And that's where we start to see that effect of synergy and more than the sum of its parts happening um, on a team or in leadership. But there's a lot that goes behind that as a leader um, to create an environment where people's ideas flourish. So what what do you
1: think are, before we get into how to elevate your leadership game, how -hmm. would you define the characteristics of a good leader?
2: Mm. Ooh,
0: good question. Well,
2: it's sort of the foundation. I got my, you know, kick at the can when I wrote my book, The Experimental Leader. Um, and, and in the process of writing it, editors, you know, made me really drill down on, oh, like, what is this? You know, what are the characteristics of this leader? Weirdly, it's, it's not a lot of behaviors. It's neutral like getting to neutral as a leader, I think is one of the most complex, but one of the most powerful that you can do as a leader.
1: What do you mean by so neutral? Like, what does that mean?
2: It's that you don't react to the, the things that are happening around you as a leader mm. and that you are able to take things in, ponder them, maybe think thoughts or ask questions, but then hand things back to your team. So you you become almost a conduit um, for you, you become someone who might set direction. That may be an important outgoing message that you would have. But much of the time of a good leader is spent um helping people move their own tasks forward. So say you have a team of 10 people. How are they, how is everyone doing on their tasks? And certainly, as a leader, you don't want to be assigning the tasks because that's the straight path to being a micromanager.
1: Okay. So, who? So, I can hear all the questions that are
2: going through <laughs> people's
1: minds. If I don't assign the tasks, who assigns them? Yeah. So, setting the direction, great. Then there seems to be a gap between setting the direction, which is sort of the vision, and then there's a planning yeah. phase. So are you making yes. a distinction between leadership and management with that, you know, kind I, of frame of reference or do you have a different way of looking at it?
2: Yeah. I feel like, you know, somebody in leadership, you know, the leadership world's going to smack me down for saying, I don't think there's that big of a difference between leadership and management. Leaders do both. Like there's, you have to make sure there's sort of a difference between uh, strategic tasks and operational tasks. And I think sure. of operational tasks as being more managerial, Um, And the strategic tasks as being more leadership, like you're setting a big picture direction. Um, But one thing I do, I do think um, is really important in this one little tiny strata is, you know, when you ask that question, well, who's assigning the tasks if you're not assigning the tasks? I actually think this is one of the places that new leaders can get the most leverage if they can figure out that one little tiny place of leadership. It's not about reading all the leadership books out there. It's on focusing on that one place. How do you pass the tasks? There's a couple of things that I think are really important in that one little piece. One is how are you briefing what you're passing? And are you passing a big enough bucket? So I I think about buckets in leadership a lot. If you're passing a task that doesn't attach to anything, you probably haven't passed a bucket. So for example, um, social media, have you passed the social media bucket to someone where they start to have ownership and ideas? Or are you saying, I want you to make five Facebook posts every week. Hmm. I want you to make, you know, three LinkedIn posts every week, because then they haven't thought about the whole which leaves you as the leader as the only person thinking about the whole
1: mhm mhm what if what if you have, and I know especially earlier on in my business, it didn't seem possible that some of the people that I had had the capacity to think about the whole you know i so i I would say okay you you're handling social media, and then it would be like, yeah I, I don't know what to do like t- just tell right. me what to do, right. <laughs>
2: So, we need to hire well. like we certainly need to look for people like both hire well, and then you can also test things to see how well they work.
1: you so know is that you, is that sort of the the essence of what you mean by the experimental leader? Like what do you mean by the experimental leader? I'd love to drill in on that a little bit.
2: sure well the the idea of the experimental leader is anytime we want change to happen in an organization or a business, Or in our personal lives, even we're leading our own lives all the time. If we want change to happen, then we're trying, we're going to try something new.
0: Mm -hmm. Right
2: now we can see that as we've decided we're going to do that new thing. But really in that moment in time, that's an experiment. If I decide with my husband, you know, I'm feeling disconnected and I want more connection. And I say, can we try date night? We're trying an experiment. I have no idea at the beginning of that whether that's going to make me feel more connected.
0: Mm -hmm. right? But if
2: I know it's an experiment, I can think back in four weeks, and if he's on his phone during dinner every time we have a date night, I'm not going to feel more connected. I could cancel date night and say, that didn't really work. That was an experiment that didn't work. Could we try going for a walk? So then I'm trying a new experiment because the data I collected didn't give me the result that I thought it might.
1: Can we go for a walk on a lo- on a tall bridge where I could throw your phone off?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Just saying. <laughs> might steps a- forward to
1: fix the problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Can <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, we go skydiving, but we don't jump out of the plane. We just throw your phone
0: out of the plane. <laughs> yeah. If that I have doesn't work, say- you can join it as well.
2: <laughs> My husband's not like addicted to his phone during dinner. So for me, it usually works. But notice how there's there's a moment where you try something new and then you collect data and then you think about what did you learn? Hmm. So that's sort of the heart of being an experimenter. The other thing is, and, and less in entrepreneurial context, more in large corporations, people live and die by their ideas. Mm-hmm. So they have to go all in for an idea with a and get a big budget and then roll it out. And then if it fails, they failed with their idea. But if we know it's an experiment, um, I'm sure you've experimented a million times with your podcast. Um, you tried something and you went, gosh, did that work? Did that not work?
0: Well, I you know, dare we, say that it's still an experiment, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I think podcasts are an amazing experiment. My you know,
0: uh, my co-host is an
1: experiment. I'm still trying to determine whether <laughs> it makes sense to have him as a co-host.
0: <laughs> but no, I you know yeah. I I really love your your approach here and 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 the way you're explaining that because I can tell you one thing looking back on myself that in the past. I haven't viewed certain decisions I've made probably in life and business. But if we just focus on business, like when I've made a decision, it's almost like that's that's it now. You know, and and I've I've had times where I've stupidly, let's just say as it is, stupidly hung on to this thing because it was like I made this decision. This is where we're going. That's the decision I've made now. And six months, 12 months down the line in in reflection, it's like, whoa, that decision was bad Like, Mm. what do we do? And it's like, well, let's go back to when it wasn't bad. it's like, whoa! if I'd have viewed it as an experimental decision from the beginning, I'd have probably not been closed off to reacting faster to it not being the right move. So I I, I think Mm -hmm. that's fantastic.
2: Well, and um, we have words for that, like sunk costs and all sorts of things. Like we have language to describe that thing that you're describing, but describing it as an experiment up front allows us to – Think. Oh, what's the tiny move? Like, like, mm. how do we prototype that? How do we do it in a yeah, a safe to fail way? How do we, mm. um, what can we do so that we get data quickly and then we reevaluate quickly and then we move it forward so that when we actually start to invest money, um, we know it works. People people do this with Facebook advertising all the time. They try to get proof of concept before they throw you know hundreds of thousands of dollars at right. it. Yeah. Um, so there's ways that we already do this pretty well, but we don't do it universally in our businesses.
0: Yeah, so it's very
1: true. I think this whole uh, idea of experimentation is something that I've embraced for quite a while. Having been, um, you know, an engineer in college, and I took all these lab courses: physics lab, chemistry lab, this lab, that lab, and everything. And everything was like, "Well, here's my hypothesis. Here's what I think we could do." That's Right. Right. And then, you know, it's like have a hypothesis, conduct an experiment, measure, evaluate, and then you have another hypothesis. Right. So it's this kind of constant cycle. And I love what you're talking about in terms of taking that mindset and applying that Mm. to the way in which you run your business. Because the truth is none of us have any real idea (laughs) how anything is going to happen and to and to like pretend that we do is either ignorant or arrogant. And <laughs> yeah. and to right. me, this idea of experimentation makes a ton of sense. So yeah. in terms of um, leadership styles and how do we, you know, kind of move, you know, use, use this word neutral, which I think is an interesting word to use, move towards the center of where we're not claiming to have all the answers, mm-hmm. but we're also hungry with curiosity to figure out how we discover the answers. How what's the best way for somebody to start doing this, whether their company's big or small? And, you know, kind of some of the some of the tips. This is just the tips after all. So I was about to say we, what's
0: the name of the show? I, I nearly forgot for a moment.
1: I know you did. That's <laughs> why I'm talking about experimenting with co host who doesn't forget the name of the
2: show. Well I think I think that um, I think it's just really um, it's really important to think about that neutral, that it doesn't mean that you give up standards. Neutral doesn't mean lack of standards. And I think um, as you're holding the experiments, if you picture your job as the leader is to hold the idea of experimentation on your team and then to hold them accountable to all of those um, those things that we talked about, like, are you collecting data? How will you know if it worked? What did you learn? That's the push that you push for. So you don't push your ideas about them on your team. You're pushing the process. And that fuel. Uh, there's a guy named Eli Yahoo Goldrat who wrote the goal, and yeah. um, and he always said that management attention was the biggest bottleneck in North American business. Mm. I think it's all business, but he, he that was his quote. And um,
1: South Americans and I think that's, have it totally figured out.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and Europeans, yeah. Right. <laughs> Like we don't but, deal with those um,
1: problems anymore, you North American peasants <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so I think that paying attention and then briefing well, so are you giving really good guidelines? because what I'm learning is that the better you can brief, the more clearly you're passing the measurement of the experiment to your team. So instead of passing them a uh, uh, you know, a concept, you're actually saying, I want this and I want it to look like this and I want it to have these guidelines and I want us to measure it in these ways. Measurement's hard. Measurement's super hard.
1: People resist measurement because it's so hard.
2: It's so hard and you have to set up a process and then you have to think about it and you have to go. I, I really think that any of those steadiness (laughs) tactics that, you know, make us go and do something over and over again, week after week, and they're kind of boring until you go, oh, my gosh, um, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is working. Until that <laughs> moment, it's really boring. But it, it sure is- does help with spend if you know something is working.
1: Well, and I think it also, um, you know, the because there's, there's been multiple evolutions of my teams and the different businesses that I've run and the businesses that I've worked with, and i think there's there's a constant need for helping people understand this frame of mm-hmm. experimentation right because everybody brings their own sort of personal insecurities to the business mm-hmm. and like well like what if i'm wrong i'm like well i don't know that you are right or wrong and what is right or wrong there's only like what gets it done and and so there's there's all these different conversations to have so the, the briefing, I think, is, is absolutely a clear step. You know, what are we going after here? Why are we doing this? How do we measure success? And then doing it until you actually have the valid data to be able to measure whether it's successful or not. And then re-hypothesize or prove your original hypothesis. What do you say about communicating more of the cultural impacts of this experimental approach to the people that are working with you? How do you how do you manage that aspect of things?
2: I'm not sure I totally understand the question. Is it you, do you mean like um, how are you communicating that experimenting is important? in yeah. the organization. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Like how do you get people bought into this idea? Yeah, suppose you're saying like how do we get everyone on board in that frame of mind that this uh-huh. is how we operate? We're an experimental. You know, we take this approach, and this is how and why. I suppose yeah. that's what
1: you're getting. Yeah, right. that's exactly what I'm driving.
2: Well, I I find. That people adopt this language pretty easily and fairly slowly. Like they get what you're talking about. If you say, oh, well, what's the next experiment we're going to try? They know exactly what you mean. There's no language that you have to roll out.
0: Mm.
2: But what you hold is that, okay, well, can we check in in a week? And then you schedule the meeting for the check-in. So it's, it's your job to do those check-in meetings, to pay attention that you've given someone a new concept. They are not going to walk away and do that concept and start experimenting and do it perfectly all on their own. Right. So what I find is that I often am having, when I pass a bucket, so say I pass a bucket of something to a, a team member, I pass that bucket and I share the target condition.
1: So, let's, so give us an example.
2: Sure. Uh, we have an email nurture series that we're working on. Okay. 31 emails. My target condition is those we just shifted our strategy a little bit. I need all those 31 nurtures updated and loaded into ActiveCampaign mm-hmm. by next week, by Friday, by Tuesday, whatever the deadline is. And then I become a resource. So it's like, well, what are you missing? So... The next question is, what obstacles are preventing us from getting there? Okay. And what do we need to try? So the other thing about being um, fostering experimental leadership and passing buckets to your team is you don't walk away from them. You're a team member. You're a resource for them as the leader. Your voice doesn't get lost when you pass it. It's just a difference in who's asking what from whom. Mm-hmm so my team members come to me all the time because they need something from me. They need my voice somewhere. They need me to create content. They need me to uh, prove content, whatever it is. Um, I don't disappear from the team, but I'm not in charge of delivery.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: The delivery stays with the bucket.
1: So how do right. you, how do you make the distinction then for them in terms of the experimental approach with this idea of a bucket uh, versus the task that you talked about earlier.
2: I mean, some places I don't talk about this with my team. I just like they're. I say they're in charge of mm-hmm. the bucket, and then I name the bucket's name something. Um, it but it becomes their deliverable. I think most leaders shouldn't have very many deliverables unless they're for somebody above them. In a larger organization, in an entrepreneurial setting, if you have a team of five people, if you cannot be responsible for anything but kind of customer delivery, if you do that, or whatever makes the money, sales, you know, marketing, wherever you need to be in the business, if you can make everything else somebody else's deliverable, you free up your time to focus on the bottlenecks of the business.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Sorry that's yeah. a whole other concept. It's it's like they all just kind of fall.
1: Right. Right. Um so so what's the uh what are some of the pitfalls? What are mm. some of the things that people need to look out for when you know transitioning from like you said there were these two types of leadership styles at the beginning, sure. right? There's like the dictatorial, you know, like gun to the head sort of one <laughs> and then there's the charming charismatic but I'm still just going to manipulate you sort of one. How do, what are some of the pitfalls when people are like, okay, well maybe that's not the best approach to developing my team, to developing my business, all that. And they, they buy into this concept of experimental leadership. What are some of the things that can go wrong when trying to make that transition for people?
2: Well, I find just in general, if somebody as a leader tells me they're frustrated that word has become a real signal for me. I feel so frustrated mm-hmm. that something's broken in the process. The work isn't flowing well. So that word is like, to me, as a if I hear a client say, I'm frustrated, I'm so the frustrated. It is a huge, like, waving red flag to me. Because they're expecting something to happen in their, in their team or organization or business that isn't happening the way they dreamt it would. Yeah. And they're taking it in, and, they, and that frustration tells me they don't know how to act from there. hmm Yeah. So that's the red flag. That doesn't answer your question about what to do if you feel that.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that now.
2: I mean, don't let him
0: bully you into it though, Melanie. You could equally just say, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, (laughs) no, I'll tell
2: you. I mean, (laughs) I I think that you dive into the process. So you continue to let your person, you don't solve the problem. That is, that is the biggest pitfall is you see something broken. You see, you feel that frustration and you think, I'm just going to fix it because I can fix it real fast. Well, when you fix it real fast, number one, you become the deliverable of the deliverer of that forever. And your team member doesn't learn what you know. So Mm. when you feel frustrated, my guess is what you need to reframe is to what do I need to invest in so that I won't feel frustrated anymore. Mm. Now, I don't know what that is, because that could be a variety of things. But you have a dream that someone will accomplish a task for you that they're not capable of accomplishing. That's what that frustration tells me. Right. What can you do to skill them up? So I love one-on-ones and ways that people look for how they can skill their team up. I think it's super important to be thinking about all the time. How do I, they the person that you hire today may not be able to do everything today, but what are you teaching them each week so that a year from now you have a super skilled person on your team as opposed to you've done their work for them for a year and you've hated every minute of it?
1: Right. And what do you right. do what do you do when the the stage is set where you've been trying to skill somebody up and just like, this is the wrong person and I need Venue to invest, fired, in, I need to invest in a go. new person. Done. How do you Done. how do you make the, where do you make the call between like, okay, like invest, invest, invest versus cut them out and then invest in a new person?
2: If I don't see learning, that's my key. Like if I'm having the same, I, I have very low tolerance from the same conversation over and over. Um, I also, if they become the bottleneck in the business, like I cannot move the business fast enough because they're a bottleneck. Mm-hmm. And I that means they're intolerable as like, I, I can't have somebody who's the bottleneck. So we either need to move them to where they're not the bottleneck. So, if growth is my goal and most businesses' growth is their goal, if they're in the way of growth and they're a bottleneck and they have to either go or move.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I I will say, having been a, you know, executive and business coach for 22 years, um, most people fire too slow.
0: I think I agree with
2: that. Me included. Yeah. (laughs) I'll own that fully.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think this is one of those leadership skills, isn't it? Like, not many, like, how many times do you get put in that situation, really, until you have to be put in that point? Like, it's not a nice situation, is it? Like, I I struggle with that. Which is why I don't imagine you you do. do, James, what's that? I don't imagine
1: you do. No, from time to time, I do. You do. Absolutely. No, it's it's uh, it's a it's a challenging one, which is why I'm asking about the way in which you look at that criteria, how you evaluate, right? Because I think all of us, as leaders, want to be or feel that we're being as objective as possible, right? right. Where we, you know, we want to move at 120 miles an hour. Most people don't move at 120 miles an hour, and so it's like, okay, fine, but. How do I set realistic expectations for what can be accomplished? And at what point do I cut my losses and move on to a different approach? Because that's part of the experiment too, right? Yes. Yeah. This is not just experimenting with a Facebook ad campaign. It could be experimenting with different people in different roles on the team.
2: Yes. Well, and when you're new – if you add a bunch of team members at once, you, um, you don't know what's not working. Yeah. So the more established, the more of these things you work through as you yep. develop into a business, you know, away from startup, um, it becomes more clear. I, I think about restaurant openings and you think about hiring for a restaurant And really the only people available to hire are the people that aren't gainfully employed. Mm -hmm. So your whole workforce (laughs) is people who couldn't get employed before you.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take whatever's left. (laughs) The sign on the door. Hey, not able to get a job
1: anywhere else. Come in here. We're hiring. Yeah. It's like the poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty. By Emma Lazarus, like, give me your tired, yeah. your poor, your yeah. your struggling masses, like whatever it is. It's like, we'll just come on, come on, we're hiring.
2: <laughs> You've just described every startup. Yeah, like like with that poem. So so in the beginning, if we are new to hiring, um, and especially if we hired our friends, we probably Which never need to, ever
1: happens. No, I, can so I did do that. it this year.
2: Oh. I did it this year. It's been a great, it's been a great decision, but you know, this happens. So um, we need to think about being able to let those people go quickly, like even more quickly in a startup, we might've gotten it wrong. Yeah. And we need to also have good recruitment strategies for how are we looking around to find, you know, great team members that, you know, so that, that we can hire people who are moving from one job to another. Um, because really the best workforce is probably often, uh, highly employed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You almost have to like forcefully pull them out of where they are.
2: Yeah. Or make it really become really appealing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One or the other. Carrot or a stick of some kind. That's
2: where the culture stuff comes in, right? Like, oh, that's why, you know, you might want to go to that place that's experimenting well and developing their people and their, you know, you're going to be a better employee because you're going to know so many more things because of this process. You know, in in two years, you're going to be a really skilled up employee. That's super attractive for hiring.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really yeah. interesting way to look at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everyone has everyone has different reasons, don't they? And I think this is sometimes what I've struggled with because like, you know, my reason to move would be only for the money, I guess. If I if I had a job, I'd be like, well, if you pay me more, I'm going to come to you because I want to make more money, but my experience since employing others is like I don't think most people are that way. Like, well, and life. I would
1: I would argue that to at the extreme, you're not even that way. Like we can <laughs> as an employee a, I think I was. Well, I would say like there's there's an amount that you're unwilling to tolerate no matter how much you're getting paid. You're mm-hmm. like, I freaking hate the people that I work with. I hate the environment. I don't I'm not excited about what we're doing. And at some point you might do it for a short period of time. But I think at some point it like, you know, you even had this with uh, with your business, right? You didn't like the customers that you had. Right. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. That's so you important. completely
1: reinvented everything. Yeah. It's true. And it wasn't and it wasn't because you weren't making good money because you were doing you were killing it. True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Well observed. All right. I'm just I'm just, you know, kind of checking boundaries here and making sure that <laughs> keeping each other honest.
2: Yeah. I, I had a job that I took that I did sales for an IT consulting firm. And, uh, we were, we were knocking it out of the park and, um, giant sums of money were showing up in my bank account. Um, because I sold us, I sold them into a fortune 50 company and, um, and my friends were starting to say things like, Melanie, um, You've changed. Are you okay? Because it was so toxic and so horrible. And it was so hard to leave because the money was so good and my soul was just dying. Yeah, so but that's it. true for the people we employ too. Is we we can see their souls die if we don't develop them, if we don't spend time with them, if we lose faith in them, we owe it to them to release them into the wild so that they can find someone who does have faith in them.
1: I 100% agree with that. And I also think it goes both ways. It's right. It's like, look, it's not a good fit. But just because it's not a good fit doesn't mean you suck and it doesn't mean we suck it means it's not a yep. good fit, right? Not all sure. parts are meant to fit the same thing. And by by acknowledging that and being honest about what's real, then you get the opportunity to go find out where you are a good fit and we get the benefit of finding somebody to come in here who's a good fit for us. Yeah. And it, and it is it is a huge win, although a very uncomfortable conversation in my opinion because most people make it wrong like something must be wrong
2: yeah not,
1: there's nothing wrong it's just it's not working right like you don't put certain ingredients in a milkshake right you don't you're not like putting pesto in your milk <laughs> like well does like does pesto suck no i fr- i freaking love pesto sauce oh, i love pesto and i just made dude i made the other <laughs> night yada yada went out she had a, a dinner with uh with somebody and I was just like, what am I going to do tonight? And I was like, yeah, I could do Uber Eats or I could DoorDash or whatever. I freaking made a single serving of homemade pasta and homemade pesto sauce. And I had a bowl of pasta with my homemade pesto sauce and it was amazing. But I digress big time. I'm a foodie. <laughs> but um, but you don't put pesto in a milkshake because that's disgusting, right? And it's like it's not yeah. a, that ingredient's not a good fit for that recipe it's not because the pesto is bad or the milkshake is bad it's that they don't work and and i think when we're in these situations with people and having to have these difficult conversations we don't have to make anybody we don't have to vilify anybody or anything Mm -hmm. right and i think it's a natural tendency because like human behavior has like this whole like us versus them and you know good and evil and all that and that's like that's fine on a paradigm level for certain things, but when we're talking about being practical, hey, we tried it. We we took this experimental approach. It doesn't work. Go find something that does work and we're going to find something that works for us. Boom.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like unlike any yeah. other relationship. Yeah. It's like, look, we we don't have to hate each other, you know, it just didn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. <Let's apologize. laughs>
2: Well, and I think one of the disconnects right now that, you know, people miss, you know, is around technology, like how skilled up on technology. My my little tiny company. Oh, my gosh, we have so many tools like we all roll our eyes. We carefully add them. But the like we solve problems with technology, with Trello and Kanban boards and Miro and just diagrams and, you know, Active campaign and automation, and like even in my little tiny coaching company, we do that. And so, if we get somebody who goes, "What? I can't get on Zoom," like they're not going to be a good fit for our culture. So I'm going to know that really fast.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. they're like, "Where is the filing cabinet and the fax machine?" <laughs> You're like, "What? <laughs> really?"
2: <laughs> like, yeah, no. so I, I actually think-
1: like the like the. <laughs> well, uh, like the v- madman era called and they need your filing skills back like we're not doing that anymore.
2: Yeah, I had I had an assistant like that who used to be really good at making file folders. And it just <laughs> wasn't is, a big need for my business. No. What is being and it was, really good at making
1: file folders look oh
2: like? Oh my gosh, she had this like old school technology that printed out these labels. So oh, wow. I still have files she was with me like Fifteen years ago, and still I have files that are perfectly labeled. It was, but it was well, you super can't argue expensive. You
0: made them well, then can you? <laughs> That's years right. Late, they good. lasted
2: fifteen years. Like, why would I get rid of one of those labels? They all are the things I needed, but they weren't the bottleneck in my business. So it was yeah. expensive to have her doing that instead of solving the problems that would help us scale.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's yeah. interesting. I wonder right now how many of the bad hires have a technology component to them. Right? I'm, I, I bet, don't know. I'm just I curious bet, it's, about considerable. It. I bet yeah, it's considerable. I bet it's considerable because
1: generally people who are super flexible with technology can kind of find a way to make some stuff work. Yeah. And people who don't yeah. get it, it's it's harder to do that. Um that's a, that's an interesting uh, an interesting question though. Um I uh, I know we've got a we've got to move on to our news segment. Um, but before we do, is there, uh, is there anything that you'd like to add, ask, or comment on, or otherwise insult me, Dean?
0: <laughs> well, I thought we were going to line up. Now you mentioned insulting. I thought there's like <laughs> 10 people just walked by. They're like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I mean, this is made- the
1: moment I've been waiting for my <laughs> whole life.
0: <laughs> no, I think this has been an awesome conversation. I like, Thank you, Melanie. I think, um, to me, the, the big takeaway that I'm, I'm taking away from this, as simple as it sounds, is literally just the word experimental. Yeah. is is like that that just that approach that philosophy for me just even saying the word just puts a different perspective on everything it's yeah. because because I, I think it would be fair to say that I have been described by many as an all or nothing kind of guy you know yeah. it's like I'm I'm all or nothing I'm either not doing it at all or I'm I'm in and like that's it everything's gonna happen because I'm that that invested but I think that gets me into problems sometimes because it, it doesn't give me that opportunity to see this as something that isn't permanent, that can be reversed or changed, or we can alter mm-hmm. if it's not playing out the way that I thought. And I think yeah. it sounds so simple just saying that word, like, oh, this is an experiment. But I think it changes yeah. everything so significantly. So mm-hmm. no, I wanna thank you for sharing that. I know uh I don't care about the listeners right now. That's helped me. so uh,
2: <laughs> That's great. <Thank laughs> cover, you. cover your ears, everybody.
0: <laughs> but no, no, in, in all seriousness, I think that is such a powerful thing. Um, so yeah, I, I thank you for sharing it. It's been amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I echo that. I think that this, um, this idea is worth really drilling into and you know, investing. And, and like I said before, this experimental approach and the mindset and the thought process behind that is definitely something that I've had um I've had years of experience with but even some of the distinctions and the nuances and like why are we doing this exactly the way that we're doing it and everything that we've talked about here today I think even illuminates that this isn't I this isn't a, uh, one of these things where you cross a finish line it's like all of a sudden I'm an experimental leader no right it's an ideal that you keep driving towards and getting better at. And it requires uh, consistency and commitment. Um, and I, and I really, really appreciate you bringing that to the show today. Yeah. yeah, It
2: it helps you breathe. It it like changes the air you breathe. Um, when you start to have the language of experimentation in your organization.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, so obviously, uh, you know, anyone who's interested in this should get their hands on a copy of the book the Experimental Leader uh, by Melanie Parrish. Is there anywhere else that people should go if they want to find out more about you or what you're up to, uh, follow sure. you, learn more, that sort of thing?
2: Well, I'm I'm out there, and The Experimental Leader is everywhere. But um, actually, I will be happy to give all of your listeners a copy of my book if they go to wow. book.experimentalleader.com. Um, they'll get a copy of my book. I also... Have a new uh, leadership program for new leaders, and if you get a copy of the book, we'll tell you all about our leadership program too and our follow-ups. And uh, I'm just really excited to share the material in this book, and I think it changes people's lives. So I'd love to share it with your
1: listeners. Well, that's that's super generous. That's amazing. Yeah. So if you guys want to get a copy of the book, I know I'm going to be getting a copy of this. Um, <laughs> sounds uh, sounds awesome. And uh, go to book. Dot experimental Is that the right URL?
2: Perfect. Yep. That's yeah. it. That'll take you right there.
1: Awesome. Well, that's super generous, Melanie. Thank <gasps> oh, you. Wait. Yeah. Sorry.
2: I gave you the wrong one. <laughs> it's digital You'll get a book, but you'll have to pay for it at book. Okay.
1: Digital book. Yeah.
2: That'll get you a free one.
1: Yeah. Awesome. But well, go to the other one if you want to pay for it. Anyway, yeah, sure. we're all good thank you so much Melanie we really appreciate you being here yeah all places where books are sold um yeah, and if you uh, really if you ever fun. happen to have Dean over to your house he'll he'll hide copies of his book inside of every cupboard <laughs> <laughs> like literally we are we are still finding them like Christmas tree needles
2: yeah.
1: year a year after he was here so be careful if you do that I love it yeah. Uh, so thank you guys for listening we're going to go to a commercial break we're going to be right back with the news and uh, thanks again melanie we'll talk to you soon bye cheers all right you guys we're interrupting this incredible episode to bring you a very important announcement and that announcement is the new just the tips members area We've created a members area that has trainings right out of the gate from Dean and I on our best strategies to help you grow your business. And many of our guests that we've had on the show have offered to put some of their best stuff inside the members area to help you guys have access to all sorts of content that will help you grow your marketing, grow your sales, make sure you're staying on top of your business and you can work on your business, not in your business. Get more results in less time. I can't even Like, the reason you don't even hear Dean right now is he's galloping around the studio on his horse from sheer excitement. Dean, can you please stop galloping for one second and tell our good-natured listeners what's going on?
0: Whoa that horse. So so if I can slow this thing down, there's only one place you got to go to get all this good stuff, and that is JTTshow.com. That's JTTshow.com. It's all free, and I think you're going to love it. We will see you guys on the inside of the new Justin Tibbs members area,
1: jttshow.com. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right, now we can dispense with that nonsense. Um, (laughs) Yeah, make sure you guys check out jttshow.com. We got lots of goodies in there for you guys. Um, I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was a really refreshing approach.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree that that what I just said there, you know, at the end, like, I think it really does like as simple as that sounds. I, I always think some of the simplest concepts are often the best. I, I think just making that shift from like, okay, I've made a decision and this is what we're going to do, compared to like, hey, I've thought about an idea. Let's run it as an experiment and see how it goes. Like, yeah, Just a small tweak to it, but it opens up a completely different possibility, doesn't it? It's like, oh, how's the experiment going? Rather than, oh, yeah, forget that decision that I already made. It's done. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think it also, uh, to a certain extent, takes the pressure off of people Mm -hmm. feeling like they have to come up with a perfect idea, the right idea and we don't we don't know anything until it's market tested right until we get real yes. real unless feedback. you get it
0: right, in which case you then say i knew it would work <laughs> right yeah oh absolutely, <laughs> and you never let people forget about that time that you knew it would
1: work <laughs> indeed um, uh, so uh so i i uh, i thought um i thought that was really good i did uh, I did want to dive into a couple newsworthy items um that I think uh, are kind of interesting. One, have you been following this whole Suez
0: Canal situation? It's funny you mentioned. So I I vaguely heard, but I didn't really understand anything about it. And then I just happened to be – I I sometimes when I'm eating lunch, I'll watch a few bits on YouTube, and it happened to be covered, just just vaguely touched upon in this video I watched. And it showed this map that was, like, zoomed out with, like – it had dots for the ships. So, I mean I might be jumping ahead on what you're about to say, but I was like
1: No, I'm just it's just a fascinating
0: story. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> like this network of boats that are just like gridlocked to either end of this like canal or something <laughs> it was yeah. insane.
1: Well, this one thirteen hundred feet long, this cargo ship. Isn't it like the largest in the world? Well it's gotta be one of them or something like that. I don't know like all of the details, but but it's uh, you know, kind of reminds me of clearly that was a bottleneck. I think, uh, I think I read they just, they just got it released or whatever so that it's right. dislodged and, you know, commerce can continue, but the cost of having that thing in the way from the free flowing activity that needs to happen in that canal, you know, I started thinking about it and obviously we all see these analogies the way that we see different things in the world, but, but it's, a It's an interesting thing, especially on the back of what we were just talking about with Melanie, in terms of you as the business owner being a bottleneck in your business, right, in all of the things that can't happen because you don't have the necessary bandwidth to make everything happen. You're kind of like that freaking 1,300-foot cargo ship just lodged in the middle of the business, (laughs) right? And everyone's like, man, like we got to get this done or there's customers who want in or there's all these different things that are happening, but you put yourself as a bottleneck and it's very much the same way that this cargo ship was bottlenecking the entire Suez Canal, costing everybody billions and billions of dollars. You as a bottleneck in your business are costing yourself, maybe not billions of dollars, but certainly a significant amount of money because you're not sure how to free yourself up and and have everything working so that you're not a bottleneck. So that was that was sort of a, a thought that I had when I this whole story was playing out and everyone's like aghast with how could this possibly happen, right? Like yeah. what's wrong with the you know, the the pilot or the captain of that ship or whatever his title is. And I'm like, wait a second, like we're all doing that in our own yeah. way
0: yeah to true. a
1: certain extent and and you're not seeing it you're just seeing the physical manifestation because this thing is like all over the news and and you can see it clogging up the canal from satellites in space
0: yeah right yeah but i, I heard it was you, like 40 million an hour being lost huge huge <laughs>
1: amounts right and nobody's nobody's thinking about that they're only thinking about okay like you know uh we we got to you know we got to go back and forth nobody's thinking about well what enables that back and forth to happen is that there's a conduit there's a pathway there's something that's creating bandwidth and
0: that's facilitating that commerce you know so um and i think the I, interesting thing as well putting it into the context of what you're saying is like you could naively look at that situation like very naively but this maybe demonstrates the point and you could look at that and say well I mean, yeah, it shouldn't be stuck and I'm sure it's bad, but it can't be losing that much money. I mean, it's just a boat, like, it's just a ship, like, stuck. It'll get unstuck at some point and we can all move on. Right. And I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like that in business, isn't it? Like, these bottlenecks we're talking about, you won't often immediately associate or even at any point associate like the loss that's occurring during that time. You just see it as like, well, it's it's just that's just how it is right now. We're not losing money. Maybe we're not making as much as we should because of it, but we're not losing. You know, the focus never goes on the loss because it's not always so evident. But I think if you take this scenario with the ship, like, no, money is being lost because business cannot continue. Like it is stuck. Like nothing is flowing here.
2: And even though like
0: yeah and it's like I saw some cruise ships are like They've made the decision to take a detour. Well, that's a, like a 30-day detour that they've now had to take. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that's sometimes how business is as well, right? Like, you don't notice the obvious bottleneck or the fact you might be it, and you're looking for alternative solutions when really it's like, well, yes, you can go around it. That's going to take 30 days, or we can fix the bottleneck in maybe four days. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, you want to our attention, run away and feel like we're being productive or focus and face up to it.
1: Dude, that's that's so, so spot on, and that's what I feel like most people do. They're like, oh, we can't go this way, so we'll just circumnavigate. Even though it's going to take longer, it's going to be more expensive, we're going to have to keep doing that thing instead of get the bottleneck out of the way. Yeah. Like, get the bottleneck yeah. out of the way. That's the real problem here.
0: Yeah. I imagine what? some people stood there and were like – Crap! This this ship is stuck. What do we do? And one guy's gone. Well, we could go that way and take it that way. And one guy's gone. Well, we could go that way as well. And nobody sat there and gone. Well, why don't we remove the bottleneck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we're all looking to the the next direction. Like, where do we
1: go now? <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the thing that's slowing you down.
0: Yes. So what a so great critical. way to tap into that news story. Well,
1: I uh, I I'm sorry if I stole your thunder today with the news. But I didn't
0: steal the thunder. I mean, we could mask over it, or we could just openly tell the audience that I sucked this week and I was like, (laughs) I can't think I I've I've trolled news for an hour (laughs) desperate to and I already knew about this news story, but you connected the dots. You gotta
1: connect the dots, man. You gotta connect the dots. So anyway, that's what we got for you guys today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, we appreciate you guys. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends about us, leave us a review. And this is James B. Friel signing off with my amazing co-host, Mr. Dean Holland. For another episode of Just the Tips, we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamesbeefreel.com. Our theme music is Happy, Happy Game Show by Kevin MacLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.